We are back for another episode of Real Pod Wednesday's 11 Warriors new Ohio State football podcast. I'm Dan Hope. I'm joined here by Colin Haas-Hill. Uh, coming off of the Cincinnati game, getting ready for the Indiana game, Ohio State is 2-0. Uh, we're going to get right into talking about that. Before we do, let you know, we are on iTunes now. We're on Stitcher now as well. Uh, so if, if you prefer to listen to your podcast on different apps. Like me. Uh, yeah, we are we are in that process. Uh, some of them are still coming. Uh, I know I'm a Spotify guy, so uh, we're not on there quite yet. We should be on there soon. Uh, we're working on that. Uh, Google Podcasts is another one we're working on. If there's any others that you guys listen to, uh, that we should be on, let us know, and we'll, we'll try to make that happen as well. Uh, so, so we're working on that, uh, but we are on iTunes now, so uh, we hope you all have enjoyed the first couple episodes of the show, and now we're going to get right into episode three. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what def- like, we're still a new podcast, you said, and then I was going to say, what, like, how many episodes do, you have, do we have to go before we're not new anymore? But then I was like, well, shoot, if we're still putting this on platform. I mean, we, we haven't even reached new. our red shirt yet. You get four games before you, you lose your red shirt eligibility, so I think we're still true freshmen here in the podcast game. Uh, but we're all out. We're work. We're working at it. Uh, we're we're trying to get better. Uh, I'm sure the issues are still on film, as Ryan Day said today about the Cincinnati game. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, we also won last week, <laughs> 42 to nothing, on our podcast. But I don't know about that, but I do know that Ohio State played really well last week. Uh, 42 nothing win, as you mentioned, over Cincinnati. Uh, bluntly, neither of us expected that. I don't think anyone of the 11 Warriors staff expected that. We thought Cincinnati was going to give them a game. Uh, I'll give some of our readers credit because some of our readers uh, in, in the comments to some of my articles last week said, you guys are giving Cincinnati too much credit. Uh, they're really not that good. Ohio State should blow them out. I, I thought Ohio State was going to get more of a game, but they really didn't. It was, it was a dominant performance from start to finish, and I really do think Ohio State deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that this was a matter of Cincinnati being just a bad team. I think Cincinnati uh, absolutely is a better team than FAU. And I think Ohio State just played better. Uh, you know, o- offensively, the stats were pretty much the same as week one, but they were more consistent. Uh, it was less possessions. Uh, I think they were a lot more efficient. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, any time you put up a goose egg on the board, you've had a pretty good day defensively. Uh, so as I mentioned, Ryan Day said there's still issues on film. But, you know, for me, uh, watching that game, we've both rewatched it. We've both tried to analyze it. Uh, I just don't see any glaring issues right now. That doesn't mean that they're not there and they won't be exposed against better opponents. But there isn't one thing that I look at right now and go, man, this is something the Buckeyes really need to fix. No, I agree with that. And it's, it's like one of my main takeaways from the first two weeks because obviously everyone's analyzing certain aspects of the game. But also, like, like, what are Ohio State fans supposed to be mad at right now? Because last year it just felt like every single week it was like, oh, my God, the defense. Oh, my God, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? What what is wrong right now? I'm I'm not 100% sure. I mean, you have if you look at each individual thing, there are things that you can pick apart, but there is not one overlying this is this is a main issue that like is obviously going to be a problem. I think there are certain issues. Like I think we'll get into it. J.K. Dobbins and whatnot. Um, the the run game that that in, the, in week one wasn't optimal, and week two they improved it. But like. Even that, like that was the issue. It's like, all right, what are what is everyone getting mad at? How about the guy who uh, is the starting running back, only rushing for 91 yards? And you know what? I'm not gonna lie. It's 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 refreshing to to cover a game and finish the game and have our readers actually be happy and not have tons of people in my mentions going same old problems, same old visit. It's it's nice for everybody to be happy. We'll see how long it lasts. I can't imagine this is going to last forever. It never does. <laughs> no, I mean we we know better. We know that, you know, Cincinnati was a better team than FAU in my opinion. Still doesn't mean they're nearly as good as some of the teams Ohio State will face later this year and no matter how talented Ohio State is, uh, there's always going to be letdown performances. And, and we'll get to that a little later on why we're this week against Indiana has that kind of potential. But, you know, just stick with Cincinnati game for now. Uh, I think so far in every episode we've talked about Justin Fields before everything else uh, for the foreseeable future. That's probably going to continue to be the case because uh, he's doing really well. Uh, he had a really good performance on Saturday, 20 of 25 for 224 yards and two touchdowns passing, nine carries for 42 yards and two touchdowns rushing. Still hasn't thrown an interception. I've been really impressed with Justin Fields. Uh, for a first-year quarterback, uh, I think he's playing really smart football. 
He's taking what defenses are giving him. He, he's staying within the game plan that Ryan Day and Mike Yurcich have set up for him. And, and I just think he's doing a really good job. I think we're seeing the potential that he has to be an elite, elite quarterback. And he's not forcing things, which I think is good. I, there, there might be times as the season progresses where he needs to make more big plays and he needs to take more chances. But so far, he hasn't needed to. And I, I think just the fact that he's playing within himself is a really good sign. How different is he right now than what you expected of him? I, I thought we were going to see him make more mistakes. I thought we were going to see him uh, take more chances and, and have to learn from more mistakes. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I still think there's probably going to be a, a time where he he has a, a tough game. You know, I, I, don't, I, I think it would be naive to think that just because his first two games have been great means that he's never going to have a bad game down the road. But I really thought in these first couple games, I thought Cincinnati, a, a better defense, I thought was going to give him more challenges and was going to force him into making more mistakes. And and really, you have to nitpick to find a mistake. You can find, you know, a couple times he took bad sacks, a couple times, you know, that he got hit or, you know, maybe maybe missed a read. But overall, uh, just a really, really solid game. Yeah, I asked that question because I had sort of a similar takeaway, which is, like I, see, I, I sort of came into the season like wondering if they were sort of just going to unleash Justin Fields, and we talked about it a little bit last week. And I wonder still, like, is there a little bit of this Justin Fields experience that, that has been held back so far? And, I mean, sure, Cincinnati is a better team, but at the same time, like Ohio State went up on them early pretty, uh, pretty, pretty quickly, and you sort of got an idea of how that game might go um, early in the first half. I've just been – it's just not – it's not what I expected it to be. I think that they're taking the harder path with him. I think that they're taking the path that they think will pay off in the end. And I also wonder whether they'll, ha they'll have any detours. I think it's the correct path, though, and that's the path where you don't want him just throwing everything. You don't want him doing anything crazy. You don't want him taking runs and, and getting hit all the time because it has to be in the back of your head all the time, like – Oh God! What if what if he does get hit? What if he does have to miss time? Because we we both know about everybody knows about this backup quarterback situation. It's it's, it's suboptimal in one word. <laughs> yeah, I think if, if you if you talk to Ryan Day and if you hear you know what he has to say every week, I think there's no question his biggest concern right now with Justin Fields is just the amount of hits that he's taking. And and I really don't think watching him, I really don't think that he's done a a, a bad job with that. Uh, I you know I I think he's been uh, pretty smart about um, you know throwing the ball away and 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 about the hits that he's taking. I think you know when he's he's taking hits, he's standing in there, he's trying to make plays. You want to see that from a quarterback, in my opinion. But I, I do think you get that impression. Uh, Ryan Day just really, really wants to minimize those hits on his quarterbacks because, like you said, uh, you know Chris Chuganov, Gunnar Hoke, they're just not going to be capable of of doing what uh, Justin Fields is doing in his offense. This is not. 2014 when you had JT Barrett and Cardale Jones backing up Braxton Miller. Uh, these guys just don't are just not the same level of talent as Justin Fields and that's not meant to take shots at them. It's it's just reality. And it's especially chugging off cuz also Hoke just doesn't have enough experience in the system. He 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 only recently he only recently got there. The thing that's really interesting to me about Fields and just the way that they're using him specifically in that regard is I just think there's a lot more opportunities that if he wanted to run, he could actually pick up pretty substantial yardage. Like there are some times when he scrambles where he looks downfield and, and maybe even he throws it away or maybe even he, he completes it. But I also think he could take off in some scenarios and he and he hasn't. And there are other times in like maybe the zone read game or whatnot where I think that maybe he could keep it. But he, but he hasn't in some instances. And I wonder like, had this not been such a focus, would would he would he carry would he would he carry some of those more? Would he scramble more often? And I also wonder later in the year when they're facing Michigan, when they're facing Penn State, when they're facing maybe a team where I don't know, you're in the fourth quarter, it's a one score game. Do you do you do that knowing that you might take an extra hit? I think that he might, and I and I and that's really what I'm gonna look for uh, down down the line with this team because we're, it's pretty clear that they're trying to minimize hits as much as as much as they can for now. Great stat from Tony Gerdeman of the Ozone. I believe he tweeted this on Monday. Both Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields had exactly 561 total yards and nine total touchdowns in their first two starts. 
I don't really want to get into comparing Dwayne and Justin at this point because I think it's way too early for that. But I do think that is in itself indicative of the kind of potential that Justin Fields has for this season because we saw what Dwayne did last year as a first-year starter, uh, Big Ten Player of the Year, Heisman Trophy finalist, uh, rewrote the record books. Justin is, of course, doing it in a different way. He, he's not all passing. He's He's got a much more of a running element to his game than Dwayne Haskins did. Uh, but just being able to put up those kind of numbers – uh, and playing as well as he is. Uh, the potential certainly there for Justin Fields uh, to make a Heisman Trophy-type run uh, and establish himself as one of the best players in college football by year's end. Yeah, and he makes some throws that I'm not sure that a lot of people knew that he'd be able to make this early. Like there's the Garrett Wilson throw that he had. There's some throws where he had a throw early in the game to K.J. Hill that K.J. dropped. And it's sort of like there's a guy up the middle, I think it was Jonah Jackson, who, who might have missed on a block. It's a defensive tackle running at him. He sort of sidesteps him to the left, goes back to the right. It's sort of like a little bit of a juke. He sets his feet, plants, and just delivers a strike to KJ. And it was a really nice ball, and it just so happened KJ got it knocked loose. But that's one of those moments where – he had really nice pocket awareness, really nice mobility in the pocket, and also kept his feet, kept his feet and looked downfield. And he wasn't, he didn't get happy feet and looked to run. And that's one of those moments where maybe, maybe a few months ago, if you asked me, I would have said that I, he's probably taken off there. But he actually doesn't. He he looks downfield, and, and that's one of the things that Ryan Day said today on Tuesday, which is. The, the wide receivers sort of have to just keep on running because he always keeps his eyes downfield, and that's very true to me. That's one of the best parts of his game that sort of got not talked about is when he gets out of the pocket, when he starts to run, he's he's pretty good. He's pretty accurate. Um, we'll see if that continues, of course, against better competition, which is the theme of this entire Ohio State team because we thought that this might be a bigger test, but it turns out it wasn't. Yeah, Justin Fields had – um, Pro Football Focus released a stat on Tuesday that Justin Fields so far for two games has the highest adjusted completion percentage in the country. Uh, Joe Burrow actually number two. So uh, I, that I did not expect. The consistency that Justin Fields has shown as a passer. Uh, I thought he would make plays as a passer because I knew he had a really good arm. But the, the consistency he's shown, the, the accuracy that he's shown on a play-to-play -play basis, uh, I've been really impressed with that. Uh, let's, let's move on to Ohio State's running back situation. Uh, J.K. Dobbins, last week a lot of fans were criticizing J.K. There were people, uh, is he really Ohio State's best running back? Some people were saying. Uh, even the coaches, you could tell, were not thrilled with his performance. I didn't think it was awesome. I no, and I, I, I didn't think it was either. Um, but the, the point I'm getting to here is he reminded everyone this past week why he's still Ohio State's best running back. Uh, J.K. Had a, had a really big game, 60-yard uh, touchdown, uh, looked a lot faster, a lot more decisive than he did in week one, uh, also did a good job as a blocker. Uh, you know, I think you know, Tony Alford said on Tuesday that the play he was most proud of was him blocking for Justin Fields, uh, giving Fields an un unblocked uh, lane to the end zone for a touchdown. So a really good game for J.K. Dobbins. I think he needed that, and, and I think, at least for now, it puts to rest any questions about whether J.K. Dobbins is the best running back on Ohio State's roster. Yeah, it, and it's one of those things where the past eight months we've heard the same deal from both Tony Alford and Ryan Day, which is he's their quote-unquote bell cow guy. He's the number one guy, and you heard it again today. Ryan Day sort of reiterated that he's the number one guy, and sure, maybe there's some other guys who might earn some carries, but but this isn't a situation like last year, and they never wanted it to be a situation like last year. They always wanted J.K. to be the guy. They wanted him to be getting these 20-carry games. They just thought it might come with more seven yards per carry games instead of four yards per carry games like it was in the season opener. There, I think there were two things that J.K. did that he didn't do in week one that I think were the most impressive. And one, it was just like he had sort of like a burst when he got the ball and he hit a hole that I just didn't think was there um, in week one as much. And then also he finished runs better in week two than he did in week one. Like those are the two those are two things that you sort of need from him because like sure he had a six yard touchdown, but he's not a four three guy. That's not gonna be his MO. His MO is gonna be getting those twelve yard runs. Like that is peak JK. That is what you want from JK. You want him to bounce off that first defender through that hole and then you want him to finish the run, get those extra two, three yards. And like that's what we didn't see enough from him last year and that's what 
I don't think that we saw at, at, on some moments in, in week one, but we saw it, we saw it sort of reemerge in week two. 141 yards, two touchdowns on 17 carries, 8.3 yards per carry uh, for J.K. Dobbins in week two. So I think a really strong performance for him. Like you said, he is the bell cow. That's what they want him to be. They want him to take the majority of snaps. But but Master Teague as well uh, looked really good on Saturday. Uh, 60 yards on 11 carries. Uh, the coaches still aren't ready to name him the number two running back. If, if you asked either Tony Alford or Ryan Day right now about Master Teague, what's the first words coming out of their mouth? He missed a lot of time in practice <laughs> yes. due to injuries. So they love they love to mention that every time. They, and they I think want. I think they're trying to challenge Master. I think they I think uh, there's probably things in practice that they're not seeing out of him that they're expecting to see out of him. And I think yep. they're trying to they're trying to send a message to him. They, they don't want to just give him that number two running back job. Uh, they want him to really prove that he deserves it. And, you know, even today they're saying, I think it was Tony Alford who said, uh, if if they if he continues to practice the way he's practiced for the last couple of weeks, he continues to run as hard as he has in the games, we're going to trust him with more playing time. But I think they're still building up to that. Like you talked about before, I don't think this is ever going to be a 50-50 timeshare type situation. As long as J.K. stays healthy, I think he's going to get the lion's share of carries. But I do think at this point, Master Teague is pretty clearly the number two running back. Demario McCall, a uh, flashy guy. He looked good on, he's looked good on returns. I think he's got some value as a third down back, situational back, guy who can be a pass catcher as well as a runner. But in terms of being a guy who can run between the tackles and truly spell J.K., I think it's pretty clear right now that Master Teague is that guy. Yeah, it's funny. Like, like I just – the word backup running back, it's, it's going to get a little complicated, I think, with this team because I think if you – like, my guess is maybe in the next month, if you look at first quarter touches, like, I think DeMario might have more than Master, but second half touches, I think Master might have more than DeMario. I just think they're going to be – I think they're going to both be used – they're not going to be used nearly as much as Mike Mike Weber was last year, but I think they're going to be used, and they're going to use, be used differently. I mean, Tony Alford referenced like they'll be they'll be situational this year. Demario has his times where maybe he's a better third down back, or he's more elusive, uh, better in the pass game. And I think based on the way that Masters run, like I think if you line him up and and maybe they're under center packages, you put him closer to the goal line, like he just runs with a power. He, he pulls guys with him. That I, th- I think that's been one of his most impressive traits thus far. Offensive line, another topic coming out of last week. Uh, I think it was kind of an up-and-down performance for them in week one. Uh, looking at this past week, uh, Colin, I know you picked up on it. Uh, Colin does a great, great piece for 11 Warriors every Tuesday uh, called The Rewind. If you haven't checked that out yet, give it a look. Uh, he breaks down 11 of – the most significant plays from the previous game uh, with GIFs and... Uh, GIFs. Let's, <laughs> we'll save that for later. We'll save that for later. Um, anyways, you know, you video clips uh, kind of breaks down each of the plays. And I know one of the things that you noticed uh, that Ryan Day mentioned as well uh, this week was how Cincinnati uh, blitzes. Uh, they were blitzing, I think, about 80% of the plays in Saturday's game. And if you watched Ohio State's offensive line... They did a really good job of consistently picking them up. I mean, I can remember several times in a game where Justin Fields could have made a sandwich in the pocket before he, he threw the ball. He, he had a lot of time uh, to allow plays to develop on, on Saturday. And, again, I think that's something uh, they're going to play better defensive fronts where that's not going to be the case. But just looking at the offensive line, I think uh, after the lull that they had in week one, I think this was a really positive step for them. Uh, and I think so far – uh, I think the offensive line play has been a big positive for Ohio State. Yeah, it's funny because like after week one, like maybe I think it was on Tuesday when they named their quote unquote champions. Like the entire offensive line was named champions, and I, and I almost felt like maybe I danced around what I actually thought too much. Like I thought the offensive line was fine in week one. I didn't think that they all five were going to be champions. I just I, I was pretty surprised by that. Um, I thought that they were appreciably better in week two. I thought that I thought they picked up the blitz as well in the past game, and especially in the run game too. They had a couple just massive holes. I remember there was one late that Teague, like I probably could have picked up six yards. And I know last week we said like I couldn't make that throw. I'm telling you, I could have picked up six yards here. The hole was giant. Um, 
I, I want to recreate this play now and, and see how many yards Colin can actually pick up. I mean, I don't because that would mean I get tackled. But if we were doing two-hand touch, like I'm telling you. Colin would be on the DL, and I would, be, I would be doing this podcast all by myself. I think you'd make it work. At least I'd hope. <laughs> I, would do, I would do my best. I would do my best. Uh, let's talk about defense here. Uh, wait, wait. Can I say one thing about the offensive line, though? Sure. Um, one more thing. Because, like, if I just – just individually – all right, Thayer Munford on the left side. I think Thayer Munford's been really solid. Jonah Jackson, I think the main thing that's that is like that I've noticed about Jonah is Jonah loves to finish. Like, they talked about this nine knockdowns and, and – He's got and a nasty one. streak to him. He, he loves to just pummel dudes. And I think at moments, like, maybe he – does that maybe he extends over extends a little bit but at the same time like you sort of takes you you win some you lose some on that um i thought i think josh myers has been super consistent i think he's been really really solid at center i think wyatt davis has sort of been exactly what they bargained for that right at right guard and brandon bowen's been solid at right tackle like across the board like i don't even like maybe at the maybe uh sometimes in certain years you you look at a position and you wonder like sure like the left side line is good but like that right tackle he doesn't have it. This year, it's not really like that. I, I don't know, Colin. I never heard Ohio State fans complain about the right tackle the last few years. No, definitely not. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I made. I must have made that one up in my head. Um, but yeah, no. But this year, like, there's not a certain area on the offensive line that I think people should be really concerned about. Of course, better competition will come. But but right now, right now, I think everything's okay across the board, which is. Our, that's a big positive. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think so far all five starters look really solid. Like you said, I, I don't think they've really been tested with a no, great defensive haven't. line yet. So I think that that's still to be determined. Yeah, but since he tested them with a little bit of scheme, but but they weren't tested yeah. necessarily with talent. So far, really good on the offensive line. Okay, like I just said, we're, let's talk about defense. We're 20 minutes in, and we haven't talked about defense yet. And Ohio State had a 42 nothing win. I mean. We, we think back to last year, and, and this team pitching a shutout uh, would have almost been unfathomable with the way they, they played on defense last year. And, and just a really good performance by the defense. Uh, they've now held their opponents to less than 300 yards in each of their first two games. And, a, and, I, you know, and I think one thing that really stood out to me about this defense, and I think is what you really want to see if you're coaches, is there were a few times where their backs were against the wall on Saturday, but every time somebody made a play, where that was Chase Young blocking a field goal, where that was uh, Sean Wade tipping a pass and Tuff Borland and making the interception, where that's Amir Reap and Dallas Gant stripping the ball out right before the goal line and Ohio State recovering that fumble to preserve that shutout right at the end of the game. Uh, these guys are making plays on the ball. Uh, I think Ryan Day said it a couple times this week. Uh, they've actually missed some opportunities for turnovers. They, there's been some loose balls that they could have gotten. So don't tell Chase Young. That's actually still something they're working on. Well, Ch Chase has been working on the jugs machine because uh, he uh, he dropped an interception there. It was a a gift for him. Maybe maybe he could have even run it back for a spectacular play that we would have been seeing uh, all over TV come April. I, lo I love. Uh, sorry, Ohio State fans, who think he's going to come back for his senior year, but I really don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but just a really, really strong defensive performance. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if it's safe to say the Silver Bullets are back yet after playing FAU in Cincinnati because they're going to play some much tougher offenses as the year progresses. But this defense is playing a lot better. I don't think there's any question about that. The defense has been spectacular. And, like, one of the most annoying things to me after the first week was anyone who was complaining about the late touchdowns uh, scored by Florida Atlantic because that, that, that really just didn't come against Ohio State's top defense. Um, I just – just the way that they fly to the ball at all levels has been probably the most the most impressive part to me just based on what happened last year. I mean, last year everybody knows about the linebackers. Everybody heard about them. And you bring those same four guys back, Malik Harrison, Tuff Boyle, and Pete Warner, and Baron Browning. And these guys – are some of the linchpins of the defense. I mean, the way that Malik Harrison and Baron Browning just like are missiles out there to the ball carriers is sort of astounding to me because like they, when they get, when they start running downhill, I mean, they are, they are fierce. And the, and the way that the coaches use Pete Warner, it's pretty clear how highly they think of him. And, and I know everyone loves to talk about how slow tough Orland was on that interception, which he was. But he's <laughs> that, a middle linebacker. He is a middle linebacker. And he's 
They put him in. They haven't put him in positions where he's going to get exposed. Get exposed for that lack of speed. And I think that he's played. He's played perfectly fine right now. Those linebackers, to me, are playing extremely well. Well, we heard about it all off season. The coaches. You talk to Craig Mazin. You talk to Jeff Hathley. You talk to any of the defensive coaches. The thing they talked about all off season is we want our guys to play fast. We got a pursuit of a ball. We have to play fast. If you see our guys not playing fast. That's a problem. And two weeks in, they've backed that up. These guys are playing fast. I think it's very clear that they've bought into what these coaches are preaching. Uh, honestly, I, I think last year that was part of a problem. I, I don't think that the defenders necessarily thought that the coaches were putting them in positions to succeed, and I think things just kind of slowly fell apart over the course of a year. But I, I think this year, I think everybody's bought in. I, I think the, these coaches have a really good plan about – how to put guys in positions to succeed, and how to do different things. Because we saw the defense didn't look the same in week two as it did in week one in terms of scheme. And I think it's going to look a little bit different every week. I think these guys are really uh, truthful about it's going to look different every week based on our game plan. We're going to match up with what opponents are, are trying to do against us. And it's not so much about, you know, I think if you think back to last year, uh, there were certain things that I think the defensive coaches were so stubborn about that they just felt like this is the way it's supposed to be done and that's what we're going to do. And even if teams keep beating us, we're still going to keep doing it because we believe this is the best way. And I think this year the coaches are saying there is no best way. There's a best way against each opponent, but there's not a best way in general. The one thing that they have consistently preached and that is a key to success every single week is playing fast, rallying to the ball, giving constant effort. And I think we've seen that they're doing that. I think there's one key point to make too when you're comparing it to last year and it's that like sure, yes, they had these they had these these values, these things that you knew you were gonna get from them. You knew what they were going to do. You sort of had an idea of what they were gonna do going in. But I just I always just think back to what Isaiah Pryor said about how it seemed like every single week last year they were implementing some sort of new defensive scheme to face this specific opponent. And I think that's really challenging for like guys who are like they're just college students, and they like, weren't experienced last year. No, right? they they were they were first year guys who were put in this position where they have to learn this entirely new defense. Uh, they got a lot of pressure on them, especially like straight out of the jump. They didn't play well, so all of a sudden you got everyone coming for you, and you got to learn these new things. And I just think that that just snowballs, and it's really I think that's really hard for them. And this year, you look at them like the way that Isaiah Pryor put it is they have twenty or so coverages or so, and and they can mix it up a lot. Um, and you, you're not putting – Ohio State's not putting in these new defenses for every single opponent. Like, I think we've barely even seen what they're really going to do on this defense, and I think that's totally what they want. Like, I think that they put in so much more um, to this defense that we just haven't seen yet. Like, we saw, we saw some doses of it against Cincinnati. Like, when Pete Warner, they threw him back at free safety. Can't say I was expecting that one. Um, but, like, those are the moments where I think they just want to get that on film, too. You mentioned Pete Warner a couple of times. So, let's talk about this really quickly because I, I just wrote about it on Tuesday. And I think uh, if, if you ask the fans after this last game, I think probably this has probably been the biggest thing that people have brought up is something they're uncertain about. And that's been Brendan White and his role in this defense. And you look at him for two games this year, he's only played 34 snaps. In the final six games of last year, he played 50, at least 58 snaps in each of those games. And this is a guy who was one of a few bright spots on last year's defense at the end of a year who played really well. And now he, he, he's seemingly a backup. And I do think that there's going to be more opportunities for him to play in future weeks. Greg Madison said on Tuesday that uh, against spread offenses, they're going to want to use the bullet more. The first two teams used a lot of 12 personnel, two tight end sets. And so they wanted Pete Werner in there a lot, and, and Werner's played the most of any linebacker so far. They wanted him in there because he's a bigger guy who they think is more equipped to, to match up with those tight ends, whereas uh, Brendan White might be more equipped uh, to handle guys who are, who are quicker uh, when, when they might be put in more mismatch situations with a linebacker. So uh, I do think there's going to be more opportunities to play, but uh, that is an interesting thing. Um, I also think that when the defense pitches a shutout, it's pretty hard to question uh, just about anything in terms of who's out there playing because I think 
all the guys who were out there did a great job. But I do think that's one of the things that's going to be interesting to watch here is does Brendan White's role actually increase? Because I think going into the year, the bullet was being hyped as something that was, was going to be this impact player on the defense. And, and, and so far, it, it, he really hasn't played that much. Yeah, I believe it to an extent. I do think that Brendan White will play more against certain teams. But, man, like when you were talking earlier about how uh, you remember how the defensive coaches in the preseason were talking about how the defense is going to play fast one. I thought what you were actually going to bring up was how much that they were talking up Pete Warner and the rest of the linebackers because they – I think it, it was either Al Washington or Greg Madison co- compared him to the Terminator. That's when I thought they had taken it too far. That's when I was like, I don't know if they realize they're setting him up for failure or if, like, what's going on here? No, it turns out that, like, they actually did see this, and Pete Warner's played really well, and he's impressed me, and I think he's – I imagine he's impressed every Ohio State fan who um, were probably criticizing him last year. At least people who know if they're watching, uh, bluntly, because I still see people who criticize Pete, and I, I don't think any of that's warranted at this point. I think Pete's uh, played very well the first two weeks. Uh, I, I think he's a talented player. Uh, I think all the linebackers struggled last year. I think they've all been better this year. Uh, and I also think there's, there is a place for Brendan White. I think there's going to be times where Brendan White uh, is a better fit. Uh, as, as Greg Madison said today, there's times where you want that 245-pound linebacker in, there's times you want that 215-pound athlete out there. And there, there's going to be times when those guys are on the field together, too. We saw that a little bit in week one against FAU. So it, it's not an either-or situation. If you've looked at the depth chart the first two weeks, Ohio State has listed 12 starters on defense. So I think in their minds they really do view Pete Werner and Brendan White and Sean Wade all as starting caliber players. But it's hard to get those three guys on the field at the same time because most situations they're going to have a Mike and a Will linebacker out there. Uh, Malik Harrison's playing a Will for the most part. I mean, another interesting topic, uh, it's probably worth touching on for a minute, is it does seem like Baron Browning is maybe pulling ahead of Tough Born a little bit. I think both of these guys are going to play all year. Uh, we saw it on Saturday they used a lot of four linebacker packages. So there's going to be opportunities to get these guys on the field as well. But I think Baron Browning is a guy – Maybe of all those linebackers, you watch his film from last year versus you watch him in these first two games, that's a guy who's clearly improved, is clearly playing faster, and and he talked about it last week. He really believes in what Al Washington is coaching him, and I think Al Washington has made a huge difference for him. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to hold off on maybe a Brennan White take because our boy uh, Smitty516, of course, has a question later. Um, but I, but I, but I, like since you brought up um, Baron Bryant, I think this is like I want to sort of have a jumping off point here to like, like I just think that we've we've seen a little bit of their different personnel packages and how they're willing to to mix it up. Like there are three that I want to mention. So like one, when they decide to move, they they, they blitzed uh, Sean Wade off the edge. They they had Pete Warner like drop back as a free safety. Like that was the first time we'd seen that. And then later in the game, Brendan White did the same thing. Which by the way, hint hint, like they're playing the same position. Like that's what that's what was happening um, on Saturday. There was, then there was two more. There was one, um, so this is what reminded me, like, Baron Browning came off the edge as a pass rush. There was, there was a three-down front, um, which we rarely see at Ohio State under Larry Johnson. Um, Browning came off the edge like an outside linebacker. And, whew, I mean, just the, the, the ferocity, the speed, the power that he has coming off the edge, I think Ohio State wants to do that more. Like, I, I can't imagine that they went back, looked at that film, and like, eh. I don't, I, I, maybe we should go with something else. Like you have to look at that film and be like, "Wow, like maybe, maybe we should implement that more." Like I couldn't imagine coming away from that thinking anything other than well, that. Well, and, and you know, they talked about a lot in the off season about how Larry Johnson's recruited to play a four-man frontier, and that's what we are. That's what we're gonna be. But I, I really think these these defensive coordinators' mo is just to figure out what works, to figure yeah. out what can beat different matchups every week. And I think if that's something that works, they're going to be willing to do it. I think we're, we're going to see a lot of different looks. And I think, uh, absolutely, I think, especially when you've got four linebackers who you really like in Malik Harrison, Baron Browning, Tuff Borland, Pete Werner, there's ways to get all those guys on the field. There's ways to get three of those guys on the field at the same time as Brendan White. And, and that's one of the ways you can do it. Yeah, I'm not even specifically talking for Browning about like only a three uh, three down front. Like 
I don't know when they do it. I just saying like Baron Browning on the Blitz is something they want to look at. But you also mentioned it. They played a four-four down um, when Sensi was backed up. That's that. That was the first time I think that we had seen that too. It was Malik Harrison, Tough Borland, Baron Browning, and Pete Warner. That is an intriguing little little group right there because you're sort of you're getting four of your best players on the field at the second level. You know how much confidence they have in Chase Young in that defensive front, and then you also have Damon Arnett, Jeff Okuda, and Jordan Fuller back there. Like that is a strong package right there. Yeah, and I and I, and I said twelve starters before, but it's really more than that because really I think they view both Borland and Browning as starting as starting caliber linebackers along with Harrison and Warner. So you've got four guys there. You've got. Okuda, Arnett, Fuller, of course, are starters in the secondary. Wade, they consider a starter. White, they consider a starting caliber player. And then on the defensive line, it's kind of a smorgasbord of people. Uh, I think you know Chase Young is the clear-cut star there. Everybody else, it, it's kind of uh, a mix of guys. It's a lot of guys who are interchangeable. Uh, I think Devon Hamilton's a guy that you know you would talk to me about off air who uh, really flashed on film, is doing really well. Jay Sean Cornell is a guy who I think has really uh, put himself in a position to be a starter. But uh, Tyreek Smith's another guy who I thought really flashed in, in playing time uh, yeah, the other day. I, I agree with Tyreek. Tyreek and Devon specifically, like, they're they're almost they're they're almost the total opposites because you have Tyreek Smith, who I think since the end of last year, a lot of people were like, "What's Tyreek Smith going to do in year two? He sort of got in on the run, on the Russian package. He was this highly rated guy, and we sort of we saw the first flash of him. Devon, on the other hand, this fifth year senior, very lowly rated recruit. He's really soft spoken. You haven't really heard much about him. I don't know if people realize that he's the best defensive defensive tackle on the team, but but he is. He's he is a force up the middle, and I think that like I think it would be smart if people just like just watch him on a few plays because it, he is so powerful, and he had he he upped his athleticism in the off season. Like he told me, he was he ran a five four forty last year, and now he runs a five flat. So you combine that power with sort of an uptick in athleticism, I think you you get what they have right now. I want to get to talking about Indiana because uh, we have some questions here and you know, we're already starting to run out of time a little bit. But uh, last thing on that game, um, anybody else that maybe we should have mentioned, Garrett Wilson's probably a guy worth a mention, uh, caught his first touchdown, showed those ball skills uh, that we know he has. Uh, Ryan Day described the throw and catch, Justin Fields, Garrett Wilson, as NFL material. Anybody else we didn't talk about, Colin, that maybe deserves a shout-out? Sean Wood. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, we need – like I like, – I've almost joked about it because everyone talks about Jeff Okuda as the NFL corner, but like even even we didn't really mention him, and he had a fantastic game. It was one of his most impactful games since he's been at Ohio State. Yeah, he he could have forced free turnovers because we mentioned Chase Young's dropped interception. He batted that pass up. He also batted up the pass that Tough Borland uh, intercepted. And then you mentioned Sean Wade corner blitzing earlier. He had a great strip sack where he he just. He just chopped the ball out of Desmond Ritter's hands perfectly, forced the loose ball. Ohio State wasn't able to recover it. But that's a guy who just seems to have a nose for the ball. You think back to the Michigan game last year, some of the hits he had, some of the interceptions he made. That's a guy who just seems to have a real knack for making plays on the ball. And Ryan Day said it on Tuesday. Uh, he's extremely talented. So that's another guy. Absolutely is an NFL future. Yeah. And there's a reason why he's playing more than Brendan White right now because he's got a lot of talent. Yeah, three guys quickly um – if you have any takes, fire them. But uh, one, Ben Victor, he's sort of turned into a guy that that I'm not he's sure. He's become that I, more consistent. He has. He has, and they've been targeting him in ways that maybe they didn't in past years. Um, Chris Olave had his nice catch and run. I think that I think it'll be of them to get him more. I think he's. In the I think he's becoming their most complete receiver. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. I think he's. I think he's their best wide receiver right I agree. now. Um, and then just third, I just feel like I should mention like Cameron Brown. Like we didn't really hear about him at all last year. Yeah, he was dealing with an injury too. Like he's their fourth corner right now, um, and I feel like most Ohio State fans might not even really know his name. I mean, we we constantly get asked about Tyreek Johnson because Tyreek that Johnson, is the favorite. Yeah. I don't know if any of you listeners know this, but that is all of your favorite question is to ask yeah, about I mean, Tyreek Johnson. I, and I get it because he was a five star recruit. Yeah. But the reality is right now. Cam Brown's ahead of him. Seven Banks is yep. ahead of him, too. Marcus Williamson's we probably ahead yeah, of him. Yeah, he, he is. Amir Reeb. I mean, I, I don't know exactly the reasons for that because we, we're not privy to get to watch a lot of practices. But the reality is Tyree Johnson's at the back of a depth chart right now. That's why he only played the last three snaps against Cincinnati. And, and Cam Brown's a guy that they, they're really impressed with. And he's a guy that if, if anything – 
they're not going to rotate those corners the same way they did in past years. Nope. Okuda and Arnett are going to play basically all the time in first-team defense situations. But Cam Brown right now, he's that next man up with Wade mostly playing slot corner. If, if they need somebody to fill in, he's that next man up. So good guy to bring up. Let's talk about Indiana. Let's. First Big Ten game of the year, first road game of the year. The coaches are talking this up, you know, tougher test. We're going on the road, but I just don't know if I'm buying it. I mean, I I, 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 I would say I'm not, and then the line came out at 14, and I was like, shoot, they know something I don't. Yeah, I mean, I get that. I get that feeling too, because <laughs> a lot of times, uh, a lot of times when I see one of those lines and I want to go rush to throw some money on it, then it's like it ends up backfiring on me later because. This would be one of those lines, like 14 points. Like, in my mind, like, after watching this performance, it'd be like, well, I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure Ohio State's more than 14 points better than Indiana. Yeah, I know. But they set uh, the line at 14. Our friend friend Ari Wasserman from The Athletic, who is the the biggest gambler on the Ohio State beat, for those of you who don't know, he he said right away when he saw the line that it was a trap game. Got to give Ari Wasserman and Bill Landis a shout-out because they gave me a shout-out. I'm here podcast last week, so – uh, two of our favorite guys on this beat. Got to give them a shout-out. But I just look at this game, and I say, you know, people are talking about it being a trap game. For, there's no reason for them to be looking past this game because they play Miami, Ohio next week. Uh, a letdown I could see because as well as they played last week, I could see this team being overconfident and, and, and maybe believe – if we believe it's going to be a walk in the park, then there's definitely a chance the team thinks it's going to be a walk in the park. And if the team prepares like it's a walk in the park, then it probably won't be a walk in the park. But in terms of talent, Ohio State's more talented across the board. Uh, Indiana's got a couple players to watch. Uh, Michael Penix for quarterback. Uh, left-handed dual threat, first-year starter, a guy that Ryan Day actually recruited, which I honestly didn't know until Tuesday. Uh, But this is a talented guy that I think has caught people's attention. Uh, He's got a big arm. He's a good athlete. Uh, Guys we've seen the past couple of years, I know one of our uh, commenters asked about, uh, is he better than Richard Lago? That's kind of been a running joke on our forums for a couple years. Uh, but you think of Richard Lago and, and Peyton Ramsey, some of the just mediocre quarterbacks that Indiana's had. This is a guy that's got uh, more more ability. This is a guy who's is definitely more dangerous. And uh, I know Greg Madison was asked about it on Tuesday, uh, what's more dangerous? He said a dual threat's always more dangerous, and, and, and Penix has some of that. So I think that's the guy to watch on offense. Defense, the guy who Ryan Day keeps bringing up is Marcelino Ball. He plays the Husky position for Indiana, which is basically their version of a bullet. And unlike Brendan White the first couple weeks, he plays a lot for Indiana. He's probably their best defensive player. Uh, but outside of those two guys, you look at their roster, there's just not a lot that, that that's going to scare you. There's not a lot of guys that should be able to create mismatches against Ohio State. First off, we need a database of all the Husky bullet names, like Viper. Yeah, Viper like how Michigan. Many? Yeah, How many would, are there? Yeah, this would actually be a good, like, this would have been a good off-season storyline now that I think about Write it. Just, it like, what are the different, you know, I know there's, like, Jack linebackers and all kinds of different names that are out there, Star, and I, I think uh, I think Kyle Jones, our, our film guru extraordinaire, actually did a piece comparing some of the different ones that Ohio State has had, but, but there's a lot of there's yeah, a lot of he different didn't, He didn't rank there. the names, which didn't. is definitely going to be a June 2020 yes, piece that, on 11 that would have That would have been a good one. But um, so this game, like, it's it's funny because like I came out of I re I watched the game and I was like wow I rewatched the game I was like wow and then you walk into the press conference and it's pretty clear that Ryan Day did not want his team thinking wow he wanted his team to be thinking well there's still a lot there's still a lot of mistakes on the tape and I'm sh- there were mistakes on it there's mistakes on every single play by like everyone uh, misses a step on every single play let's let's be honest but. Just the way that they played last week, um, it, it 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 really is hard for me to imagine this being a being a super close game. If you ask me, like, all right, so how is how is that going to happen? Um, the defense has to take a step back. Um, I think that they have to find they have to find maybe some guy on D, on Ohio State's defense to pick on. I'm not 100 percent sure who that would be, but they would have to find some sort of matchup advantage. And then on the other side of the ball, like. They would have to get J.K. Dobbins to play like first week J.K. Dobbins and 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 maybe take advantage of something on the line and then and then and then get to Justin Fields and, and pressure him and and force him to force him to make some decisions that maybe he hadn't he hasn't have to but 
Yeah, I mean, I'm going to pick Ohio State. <laughs> like, it, I just ha- I have to. I have to based on just what I've seen yeah, the, the past I'm, two I'm weeks. Gonna pick them. I'm going to pick them to cover. Uh, like you said before, uh, maybe Vegas knows something that we don't. Um, I think they always cover. do. Uh, to fo- to That's why I'm scared. One point to follow up on, you mentioned about, you know, trying to figure out ways to get to Justin Fields. Probably the most interesting comment we've seen uh, from Indiana this week was their defensive coordinator. He was asked about Justin Fields on Monday, and he said he thought there were some things they're pretty sure we could take advantage of. Uh, we're going to try to get some shots in on Justin Fields. I don't know that I would have said that if I was Indiana's defensive coordinator because I'm pretty sure Ohio State's probably heard about it. Yeah, um, good strategy though. But like, <laughs> like it, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. It, 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 I you want to hit Justin Fields. Yeah, I guess it's interesting to see. You know, if we look ahead to Saturday, is there something they could take advantage of? I'm not sure exactly what that would be, and I'm not sure if they have the pieces to take advantage of it. But the only way Indiana is going to win this game is if they straight up out scheme Ohio State. So they're going to have to find something. From rewatching the first two games, Colin, is there anything you saw that maybe Indiana could take advantage of in this game? No, it, like it like it just it does go back to like can they can they stop JK Dobbins enough to make Justin Fields make plays and if he does that can Justin can they stop Justin Fields from making those plays? A lot of ifs. It's exactly why I, I I will pick Ohio State, but yeah, no. On the other side of the ball, this is the part that's that's all that's fascinated me since the season started. Like, what's the biggest weakness on Ohio State's defense right now? There's not an obvious one. It's that that's not. the that's the thing that's super interesting to me about this defense. Like, I if they if Indiana knows something that I don't about Ohio State, that's interesting because I also feel like that they've been hiding still like 80 percent of what they're gonna do this season. So I'm not sure how you're gonna out scheme the defense right now. Yeah, and I and I think um, we got a couple questions about that, so we'll get to, we'll get to our questions here in a moment. But I I do think you know the thing that's so interesting about this team right now. Is it seem you know we saw it from week one to week two? There were definitely things we saw in week two that we didn't see in week one. There were things we saw in week one that we didn't see in week two. Uh, throwing a ball to tight ends is one that people might point out that we did not see last week that we talked about a little bit the week before. But I think we're going to see different things from this team every week. And I yeah, do think I do. there's absolutely things up their sleeves this week that we haven't seen the first two weeks. So it's going to make it really interesting. You know, especially for those of us who cover this team on a daily basis and for, for those of you out there who are really diehard football fans and really like to break things down, I think this team's going to make it fun from a schematic standpoint. Uh, I, I think in the past, I think Ohio State kind of had its bread and butter. And yeah, it was, it was more execution. Yeah, it was. Whereas I think this team really is going to they're, they're going to change it up every week. They're going to keep opponents guessing, which is good for them on the scoreboard, and it's good for those of us who like to have new things to talk about every week. Yes, that is that is very true. Do, All right. we, do we want to mention Reed Carrico for us? Yeah, let, let's talk about him really quickly Speaking here. Things to talk about. Uh, Reed Carrico committed to Ohio State on Tuesday, seven forty-five a.m. Yes, I was My still man, as, yeah. I was still asleep. I think it was our new intern Mick Walker who actually uh, spotted out. it first. So shout out to Mick. Uh, but yeah, I was woken up by that news this morning. Good news for Ohio State. Uh, that 2021 class now, the Buckeyes already have four of the top five prospects for 2021. That's, of course, Jack Sawyer, who's rated as one of the best prospects in the entire class, the defensive end from Pickerington North. Uh, ben Christman, the offensive tackle uh, from Revere. And then Jaden Boward, receiver from Massillon. They also have Kyle McCord, quarterback from Philly, a very highly rated guy. So they're off to a really good start in that 2021 class. I think it's important to include the caveat that it helps that it's a really strong year for in-state prospects in, in 2021. Those four guys we just mentioned from Ohio, they're all ranked in the top 150 right now. Other than Carrico, they're all ranked in the top 100. So when you've got all that talent right in your backyard, that helps. But this is a new coach. It's a new coaching staff. Day does not have the Ohio roots that most of Ohio State's previous coaches have had. And so far, he's made a really strong case that he can he can lock down the state of Ohio, and and they're off to a really good start in that class. Yeah, that's almost like the prerequisite to being an Ohio State head coach. Like all of these guys that we mentioned, like you cannot lose Jack Sawyer, you cannot lose Reed Carrico, you cannot lose Jane Ballard, you can't lose Ben Christman. These are guys that like you give them credit for winning, but it's almost like all right, you did your job. 
But I think the credit comes in the fact that it's still 15 months until oh next year. They get credit. Day. I'm just saying that and now ulti- you got to keep them. Ultimately, ultimately, you cannot afford to lose these guys if you're the Ohio State head coach. Like you should not be Ohio State's head coach if you can't get these guys. Like it's to me, it's that simple. If you want to, if you want to play at this level. Um, at the level that Ohio State does and compete for championships every single year. You have to get the best players in Ohio. Then you have to branch out of Ohio and get good players elsewhere. But, like, to me, like, where they're at right now, like, Ryan Day is, like you said, just sort of passing this first test. He he seems to understand that he has to get these top guys in Ohio. And, like, just so happens, like, this past week, C.J. Hicks, who's, I think, the only five-star in the class of 2022, took his first visit to Ohio State. Like, they're getting in early on these guys. Um, I... The way that they the way that they've attacked the state has been impressive to me. Especially we're already early. starting to talk about twenty twenty two is already is a little bit mind boggling to me. Just think about when but, you graduated high school and then Yeah, that's that's that. exactly what I was thinking of when I said it. All right, we got about ten minutes left, so let's go ahead and go rapid fire for some of the questions that we got here. Shout out to all of you who uh, ask questions. We always yeah. really appreciate so, it. So uh, first up after week one, there were some positive things, but also things to get worked on. This week, after what appeared to be a near-perfect game with no real glaring issues, should we expect a letdown on the road at IU? I don't know if we should expect it, but I do think we should be on alert for it. Um, I, I, like, I, like I said before, I, I think a letdown is the only way this game's going to get close. But you know, there are people trying. You know, there was a question today that was asked, kind of, kind of hinting that this game could be another Iowa or Purdue. I really don't see that. Um, those were both games the past two years that I had kind of circled, like these could be dangerous games. I really don't see it. I, I think the way this team started off the year, I think they're going to take care of business. Well, the thing that, like, I agree with that. The thing that I think is interesting is first first game of the year, they didn't finish that game. They got outscored in the final 50 minutes of the game. Second week, it was a big it was a, it was a big deal. They wanted to finish this game. They wanted to put them away. They wanted that shutout. All right, accomplished. Now week three, like, do you do that again or do you revert back to week one? I don't know. Like, I think it's totally possible that maybe they revert back to week one in, in some sort of sense. And that's what all that's that's the, that's the part of this question that I'll sort of have my eye on. I think they'll be okay, but I also think that that's that's a, that's a, that's a real possibility. I mean, we saw it happen. Smitty five one six asked us who is more impressive in your opinion for the first two games, Haskins or Fields? As he mentioned. We have hindsight on how Haskins turned out. I'll be honest with you, I really don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty much a toss-up there. I think they were both great. Uh, Haskins played Oregon State and Rutgers. Fields played FAU and Cincinnati. Uh, neither one of them played an elite team, so I, I think the jury's still out on that. I'd say very about even. Do you have a strong take on it? Which is amazing considering how the season turned out for Dwayne Haskins yeah. and the fact that Ohio State still has another year after this with Justin Fields. Yep. No, I don't have a strong take. I mean – like Oregon State and Rutgers are basically playing FAU twice, so like I give Fields some credit um, for um, beating Cincinnati and performing against them in the way that he did. But at the same time, like Haskins threw some absolute freaking dimes last year. So like, like what am I gonna? Am I gonna like I can't, I can't I literally I can't, right now I cannot say that Fields is more impressive than Haskins just because like I think back to some of those throws that Haskins made. I'll just I'm gonna go with Haskins here. Another question from Smitty. Do you expect Browning to be a full-time starter by the time we play Nebraska? My answer to that is no, because I don't think Bear's going to be a full-time starter. I think both Browning and Borland are going to play a lot all year long. Could Do I think Browning could be the starter ahead of Borland? Absolutely, but I don't think it's ever going to be a full-time situation. And again, just like we talked about, it could be a situation where against certain teams, Browning plays more, and against certain teams, Borland plays more just based on game plans. Yep, I agree with that, especially the full-time starter. The, the point I will make, I, I, I predict that Tough Borland will start, will be the starter every single game and Browning will play more than him in almost every single game. That's, that's, a, that's how I think it's going to play out. I think that's a very uh, reasonable take here. Uh, Samaic, I believe is how you pronounce this. Uh, it says tight ends were to focus in week one. Saturday focused squarely on wide receivers. Do you think they continue to focus on areas seeking improvement and reps, or are they going to open up the playbook since this is a conference game? Uh, I'm not exactly sure what, what – what they're what you're asking here to be completely honest but i do think in terms of opening up the playbook uh i think they'll open up the playbook as much as they need to uh if they get up on indiana early then they're probably gonna go vanilla like they did in in week one i think 
if it's a struggle, then they'll, they'll open up as much as they need to. Um, but I think they're definitely going to have some new things up their sleeves, just like they've had the first two weeks. Um, but but it'll be on a need-to need basis. Yeah, I, I, the thing about in this question is, like, are they, are they continue to focus on areas seeking improvement reps? I don't think that's what they've been doing. I think what they have been doing is they've been looking at the defense and saying, how can we best match up against them and, and take advantage of what they do? Because – like Florida Atlantic, I just think that they thought that this under center package would work well against them. And maybe they saw other things uh, against Cincinnati that they thought they could take advantage of. So like, will they open up the playbook? I'm not really sure what opening up the playbook in this offense looks like. I don't, I don't think it's any, I, I really just don't think it's anything crazy. I mean, opening up the playbook, are they going to play both shotgun and under center? Like, yeah, I think that, I think it'll be relatively similar to, to what we've seen. I don't think it's going to be crazy. Roll Red Roll asks, it seems like the Bucks are spreading the ball around between multiple receivers. Do you think that continues, or do they start to lock in on one or two receivers? It's a good uh, question. It's a good question. I don't think so. Uh, I think they've got plenty of talent. Chris Olave, Benjamin Victor, uh, K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, Garrett Wilson. I think his role is going to increase as a year progresses. Uh, Jalen Gill, uh, maybe C.J. Saunders when healthy, Jalen Harris. Uh, I don't know how big those roles those guys' roles are going to be, but I think there's still a potential there. And, of course, the tight ends can work in there as well. So, no, I don't think they're going to lock in on one or two receivers. I think they're going to keep spreading it around. I do agree. I don't. I, I just don't think this offense is built to, to just throw at one guy all the time, too. I think that that's an important um, part of this offense is they, they will spread it around. Let me just ask you a question real quick. All right. Who are going to be the top three yardage guys on this team? Uh, Chris Olave, Benjamin Victor, KJ Hill. Interesting. See, that is – I don't even really disagree with that, but it's just so fascinating because I would have not put Benjamin Victor in that top three. I wouldn't have either. Until maybe even after this weekend. Correct. I wouldn't have either, but he's played really well to start this year. He's so. played well, and, and they've, seemed, they've seemed like they think they can trust him. Which is big because I think that maybe that was something that was lacking too. Is you had these other guys who you knew what they what you were going to get out of them, and then there's Victor who like I don't know maybe he's this he's this big tall guy you throw to in the end zone. Now they seem to be treating him like a receiver and not like a special special play guy. Silver Sniper asks if Ohio State isn't able to land a marquee running back in a 2020 recruiting class, how do you, how does what you've seen so far from T. Crowley and even Chambers in his first two carries impact your impression of a future of a running back room, if at all? How bad of a spot does it put us in if we don't land that marquee running back group for 2020? Well, I think there's no question that they got to land a running back for 2020. I also think at this point it's probably not likely they're going to land some five-star guy. It's I probably going to be on the level of T. Crowley and Chambers. Correct. So I think that's the reality. I think Assuming J.K. Dobbins leaves for the NFL after the season, which I think he will, uh, I think it's going to be very running back by committee next year, uh, include Demario McCall in that mix as well. Um, I, 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 I think that's still to be determined. I think Master Teague's showing some good stuff. I think Crowley and Chambers are going to be good players, and I think they both have a lot of potential. Uh, I think most likely the running backs are going to take a step back next year when Dobbins leaves. Um, I think that's just reality. But I, I think they'll be okay. I don't think they're going to be in a dire situation. Um, but if they don't get a guy in 2020, I think it does absolutely ramp up the pressure on Tony Alford and Ohio State going into 2021 if they really need to get a top guy. Part of me after the first week was like, hmm, maybe J.K. does stay for another year. Like I don't think so, but like I guess it's, I guess I have to like consider that possibility. After week two, I yeah, I think I reverted back to my original opinion of thinking yeah he's gone. So my take on this question, I would be worried. I think like I, like I get it. We've seen Teague um, play well in these second half spurts mainly, um, but in, unless we see this more consistently, which like I think is I think is very possible. But like since I since I haven't seen it yet, since since we've only seen him have what like like 13, 14 carries, I'm not going to tell you to have confidence in this. I mean, you would have if, – if J.K. left, you would, have, you would have Teague, who's hypothetically being used for six or seven carries a game. You have Crowley, who Crowley really hasn't done anything right now. Chambers, who also hasn't. Yeah, I think that would be in a – I think they'd be in a pretty uh, – by the way, also just forgot to mention McCall, but I think that's correct because I don't think McCall will be the starter next year. I think maybe he'd have a bigger role, but I'd be, I'd be, I'd be fairly worried. Um, but big caveat to that, how does Master Teague play the rest of the year? We had a couple questions about crossing routes from I Survived Cooper and Wide Left Bucks. 
you know, basically, we just haven't seen the crossing routes uh, very much this year. Ryan Day was asked about that on Tuesday. Uh, he said part of that is because of the way they're easing uh, Justin Fields uh, into the offense and, and ramping him up. Uh, my dad actually was at the game on Saturday, and he had made a point that he noticed that Justin Fields really wasn't throwing over the middle of the field much. So it seems like that's something they've avoided. Um, it probably is something that he's going to need to work on, that they're going to need to incorporate in the offense at some point this year. I think they've been going um, mostly to the perimeter with a lot of his passes, but also part of that is the fact that he can run, the fact that he can get outside of a pocket, that gives him that ability to make the field shorter for himself. Uh, that maybe they, you know, Dwayne Haskins has really got to work more from a pocket. So uh, I think they're adapting this offense to Justin Fields. I do think those crosses are going to come in at some point. I think we will see them more. Um, and I think there's a lot more that they haven't shown yet. Um, but I, 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 I think they're constantly adapting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. I think everybody saw what they did with these crossing routes last year and defenses like we cannot let that happen to us um another thing that i would just mention like ryan day hasn't hasn't outright said this i don't think anyone said this but like the fact that they lost terry mclaurin paris campbell johnny dixon those were speedy guys i mean you hit paris campbell for that for that route and like if he had if he had some opening you he might just go 90 yards I don't think that they necessarily have any guy like that who they're going to be who they want to be in that in that um, similar situation this year. Yeah, and Day did mention that on Tuesday that they are you know those guys are gone. So you know in terms of that catch and run ability, we haven't really seen that yet. But that's something that as the season progresses. Yeah, and I think that matters specifically for the crossers because like you just like sure like you hit the crosser for a few yards, but you really want that to turn into more. And with Paris Campbell, like it. It, almost, it, it usually did, and I'm not sure. Like, K.J. Hill just doesn't have that same sort of game-breaking speed. All right, last question before we get out of here, also from Wide Left Bucks, uh, someone who is constantly in communication with me on Twitter, so, so shout-out to you, um, a, a loyal Love Warriors reader. Uh, his question is, serious, serious question, is the, is the musical chairs on defense, i.e. Uh, five, six linebackers playing three spots, rotating safeties, bullet position, et cetera, is, is that just something Ohio State's doing this year or something that is changing all over football? And, you know, I, I'd say I think it's something that you've already, if you look at some other teams around the country, you've already seen more of that in terms of rotation. And we, we didn't see it with Ohio State last year. Last year, uh, they pretty much played the same three linebackers all season. They played, you know, the same safeties all year for the most part, with the exception of getting Brennan White in there for the second half of the year. Uh, they've always been big on rotating the D-line, but I think this team, we already talked about it, this is a team that's going to adjust a lot. I think a lot of it is the new coaches that are coming in, but I also do think a lot of that is is the way college football is going. And I, I think when you're Ohio State and you have as much talent as Ohio State has, if you can get more guys on the field and you want to play with tempo, you want to keep guys fresh, I think it's only a good thing to be getting more guys on the field and, and to have different guys who can play. And and we also, you know, one thing we haven't really talked about here is uh, Ohio State's been really lucky so far in terms of avoiding major injuries, if, with the exception of Jonathan Cooper, who has missed the first couple games. But at some point, there's going to be an injury to a key guy. And, and the more you play guys, the more you get guys' experience, the more prepared you're going to be for somebody to step in when somebody goes down. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I can't really tell you if um, Nebraska is rotating their outside linebackers. So, like, I can't either. Yeah, uh, so will it change all of our football? Don't know that I can answer that really with, with any degree of certainty, but, but I think you're right. Like, specifically for Ohio State, it just makes, it makes sense at certain positions. Like, yes, like – they're going to rotate um, the the bullet, the strong side linebacker. Yes, you're going to rotate at middle linebacker. No, you're not going to rotate at cornerback because your best cornerbacks are better than your backups substantially. So, like, I think it just sort of, it's it's sort of positional. Like, if you think the 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 rest is worth it, and you think that the backup can can provide enough, then then it's worth it. But but no, for for Ohio State, I wouldn't expect like I don't think they're going to be doing. Th- like hockey rotations with their cornerbacks this year, but I think that they might do that with their defensive line. It just sort of whatever, whatever, whatever is best with the with the current and wherever um, you current have current roster. Depth. Exactly, exactly. With the, the current roster is really all that matters. All right, we've kept you guys for over an hour here, so we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, appreciate you guys for listening. Uh, once again, uh, 
we're on iTunes now. We're on Stitcher. We're, we're working on getting on more places as well. So does that mean we have to ask for like ratings and comments and stuff? Yeah, I, I, I think we're supposed to. I'll be, I'll be honest. I I just found out that, that we were on iTunes. Uh, well, like two hours yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> hours, hours ago. So I haven't really uh, played around with it yet. But uh, definitely subscribe to us there if you're an iTunes user. Uh, we'll keep you guys updated on any uh, more places that we end up and. Uh, yeah, we want you guys to keep listening. As always, we welcome your questions. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions this week. Uh, and we want your feedback as well. So any, any feedback that you guys have, anything you guys want to hear about or anything you think we could do differently, uh, show structure, any, any comments on any of that, uh, we want you guys to be uh, learning about Ohio State, enjoying the discussion that we're having on this show. So anything we can do to uh, continue making it better, uh, we're going to try to do that. So thanks so much for listening to Episode 3 of Real Pod Wednesdays. Uh, Ohio State plays Indiana on Saturday at noon, and we will be back next week to, to recap that. So thanks again, everyone.